Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Project Esports Podcast. July, July, August? Are we in August already, guys? It's it August. is August. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, Evo just ended. I'm sorry. So we are here on August 6, 2018 for the Project Esports Podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us, alongside as always, Dylan Beal, the hypest man in Pennsylvania. But... You've seen him interact with us a little bit. We have Sam Han, or just Casual Nine, as you may know him from Twitter, where we interact a lot. Sam, why why here? Like, why did we want to bring you on? What are you doing right now that makes you the man to be our first ever special guest for the Project Esports podcast? You know, one thing that I think is absolutely true is that people need to be true to themselves speak the truth, and that speaks louder than anything, especially with all the fake news and all the content and all the clickbait. So my answer is, I have no idea why you brought me on. <laughs> we had a nice lunch together. Uh, I apparently know some things in esports, and I've done some things, and I've podcasted. So I guess that makes me um, interesting, maybe? No. We'll and find out, right? He is being modest. He has done, been doing a lot of great video work. He works with Tra- He's done work with Travis Gafford. He's done work with Guard- uh, Golden Guardians. He has done a lot more than he's leading on. So he's really great. He's kind of a social media guru when it comes to some of that, or at least he wants to be. So we are very happy to have you on along with us. He fits in perfectly because he does not take himself serious, which is pretty much the definition of this podcast. But without kind of further ado, Dylan, is there anything you want to kind of hop in on? Or you yeah, want to do, you want to talk, talk some Evo. Evo? Yeah, I want to talk about Evo because it was super hype. I love Evo. Every time it comes around, I just always have it up on an, another monitor at least for the entire weekend. Um, and this one was pretty good. Um, I think the highlight of it for sure was Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, this was the first year Dragon Ball Fighters was there, so I think people were um, a little unsure of how it was going to do. The game hit really, really hard when it came out. People were loving it. People have been loving it since it came out. Um, so there was a lot of hype going into this, and it definitely paid off. I mean, they had the most people sign up for it, and I think they had won the hypest finals for sure. And it was good games all around. Like, they weren't boring. They were they were all good. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm going to go off on it. I'm going to go off on the finals because it was amazing. Because my boy Sonic Fox went in oh there. Oh, my God. And he blew everyone up. Easy peasy. There's like, okay. there, there, there is I a would not list. say easy peasy. That grand Oh, no, fun. it was easy. Here, Here's the tier list. Let me give you the tier list of Dragon Ball Z Fighter or Dragon Ball Fighters players, right? You have the B tier. Everyone. Everyone's in the B tier. You have the A tier, which is Go, which is, which is, uh, Goichi. Which is uh, Sonic Fox. Sonic Fox is A tier if he's playing on player two. Then you have Goichi. He's S tier. And then double S tier, you have Sonic Fox if he's player one. Sonic Fox, that when makes, he's playing no, player one, is That is, is the not best. a thing. Switching sides. Oh, it is. Sides it is 100% a thing. a thing. Let me tell you why. In fighting games, right? Being on, on each side is different because the controls are like inverted, right? And like normally it shouldn't be an issue because it's not that big of a deal. But for Sonic Fox, it is. He, he definitely said this. He said, I'm better on player one. I have the better momentum as player one. This is this is like my ideal play style. And so he, whenever he lost in the finals, the grand finals, before the bracket reset, um, he wanted to switch sides. Which so is they, a total icing mood. I don't think it no, had no, anything. It wasn't icing. It, for sure, it, it could have been icing, but he did not do it for icing reasons. He did it because he likes to play on player one. You can go back and see he always prefers player one. So I watched about, I don't know, 
Uh, I watched probably a total of an hour of Evo, which is an hour more than I watched last year. So I now feel like I'm an expert on the topic <laughs> and I can talk to this. This is my first hour of FGC I've watched ever. So I feel like I'm pretty well knowledgeable on the topic now. Um, I really only watched watched Melee, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, the, I was seeing all these pictures at 11 a.m. They were just packed uh, that was insane to me how packed and people were showing up for that 11 a.m and that it went so late so i watched that i guess there wasn't much news um i think since we don't really to know too much we're just going to kind of avoid that whole smash 4 topic i want to talk about it you want to talk about it i want to talk about it so so uh, okay so for what happened like with being as unbiased as possible so we can bring sam in on this what happened <laughs> unbiased okay. as possible let me put my bias on the table first. Oh, God. My bias on the table is I do not like Smash of any form. But but what I will say okay, is... Okay, as a Smash, game or as an eSport? I, I just don't like it. I don't oh like anything God. about it. I just... Oh I, I like to steer clear. But I will say the Smash community is very, very different. The Smash Melee community and the Smash 4 community might as well be two very separate communities. The Melee community is a really good community. They're wonderful people. They're awesome. But there are some very problematic people in the Smash 4 community. And I think that was for sure highlighted at the finals. So essentially what happened, it was a mirror matchup, Bayonetta versus Bayonetta. And they, because Bayonetta is super, super top tier in Smash 4. Essentially, they were kind of dicking around. They weren't really playing it out very well. Uh, they, 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 They were just dicking around essentially and conversely the the audience was like booing they were walking out it was a mess luckily a t-over came over and they showed him the rules and like the rules are like you you have to play you you can't just not play like you have to play and it kind of forced it along and like made the finals actually happen but like this is evo for the finals like how can and it's main stage too so it's really weird that they would go up there and just do that with this game like even if like the top tier is super super stacked and it's kind of a joke like you still shouldn't do that because it's evo and it's a super super important tournament yeah so why did those two guys do that so yeah the, there apparently there isn't much reasoning kind of why they did that, that they're they, dickheads. It, it wasn't their primary game they're both dbz players is kind mm-hmm. of what i heard and that no one was just kind of respecting them from the start, and that no one wanted there, because the Smash community is very, like, we only care about our people, from what I've seen and since their the players they wanted to see in the finals weren't there, they just weren't taking it very seriously, they are just kind of booing them to start that this was a grand finals, so they're like, fuck you guys, we're just going to kind of shit on the reputation, is kind of what a lot of people in the Smash community are, I mean, I'm more or less kind of taking words from what people have been saying. I personally don't care at all. I didn't see it all kind of play out. But a lot of people just said that they just kind of made a mockery of it and that they weren't Smash players. They just kind of did a stall fest and that both sides are just being really unrespectful to each other. The fans never should have booed. They made it there. They earned their spot there in the finals. Like, they deserve to be there, but they shouldn't have played into the fans. So it was just kind of, I don't know. So, Dylan, I guess maybe you might know a little better on this, because I kind of want to pick at this. This interests me, because this actually happened with League of Legends a while ago. This was long before the LCS. Um, there was a big tournament where I think, I don't remember who was involved, but Dignitas was one of the teams. 
both teams decided to just go ARAM in the middle where they just sent everyone in the mid lane and they were just like, they were upset about just, I can't remember what it was, but the tournament was not being run well. I think there was some unfair rulings and they were unhappy. So the players did an ARAM, made a joke out of things and uh, made the audience upset. But I believe that stemmed from like the players being treated unfair. Um, I gotta be careful because I don't remember the details. But so I'm curious about what the Smash Four like. What I guess what was a pro was it the players' problem? Was it an organizer's problem? Was it the fan base? Can you where do you think the root of this problem is? Because I mean, people can take the blame, but how does this even like did the Smash Four community? How did they even let this happen? Or is there like a bigger problem? Like you, we kind of mentioned, like you don't like the Smash Four community. Like so, it might be hard not to get a. Uh, super, super biased opinion, but what do you think the root cause of this issue is and where, who needs to fix it or how do, we, how do we even start fixing something like this? So I think the root of the issue comes from Nintendo itself. Now, Ooh. luckily with Melee, we were able to get a game that essentially, the way I view Melee is the same way I view StarCraft Brood War. It is just a perfect game. You can take it in its last iteration and it is just a perfect game like it is the pinnacle of what a competitive game should be mm -hmm. like the, it's the exact reason why melee still played today since it came out in like what 2001 or two is because it's essentially like it, it's good it's amazing it's just there's very few faults in it and the faults that are in it um people don't care people don't care about those faults really um and so smash 4 the direction wasn't like the best that it took um, people don't like the balancing of the game. There's a lot of issues with it, and there's not a lot of like back and forth with um, Nintendo because Nintendo is really weird about esports. So they, they just released... don't care. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They released Brawl and they put in Tripping. Tripping was directly put in the game because people played Melee competitively, and so they were like, "Do not play this competitively. We're going to put a rule in where you just randomly trip in the game." <laughs> and essentially that that's what that is for is to to dissuade people from playing it competitively because to them and it's the meme it's a party game mm -hmm. that's what they're trying to develop it as but with smash 4 they're like oh no maybe it could be competitive sort of but they're not giving it the level of support it needs to um so i guess just think about um about league right riot and the community and the players they are like in in contact with each other and they're talking they're listening and they're having a discussion about the game and the balance and the direction literally 24 7. there are people in riot that all they do is they are like directly facing with the community this mm -hmm. way you have community managers but with nintendo and smash you don't really have that relationship um and so things are weird with it and on top of that people aren't really super on board with smash so all the smash 4 players are I don't want to say they're ostracized from the main smashers, but they're like an offshoot of them. And so it's, it, it creates a weird zone. And, and on top of all that, the super layer that's on top of that, Smash has a really weird place in the fighting game community because it's, it's, it is, but it's, it's not a fight. It is a fighting game, but it's not a fighting game. It is a fighting game for sure. And I totally think it belongs at Evo, but the culture behind it, um, sometimes falls in line more with an eSport rather than um, a fighting game because the two cultures are very, very different. And so Smash is in this weird in-between zone of where it has a lot of FGC influences in it and it totally mimics that culture a lot, but it also mimics the culture of eSports a lot. And it's, it, it's a weird zone that it kind of flies in. 
And I think that one, that cultural difference, and then two, the whole Nintendo issue definitely adds on to it and it creates essentially created this issue. I mean, at the end of the day, the the people who were there were physically booing and it's their fault and the players were dicking around and it is literally their fault. Mm -hmm. But I think there also is kind of a root issue of it. Sure. Yeah, I guess I I don't have too much to add on that. I think you did a good job. I yeah, I I think short term that yeah, it was the fans and the players just being dickwads on both sides, but there is a bigger thing that yeah, Nintendo just doesn't seem to care and It'll be curious to see how they take the approach with Ultimate next year. Which of the two Smashed are going to get kicked out of EVO? I think I hope it's four. After this year, four should be gone. But they, they've kind of came out that they said they want Smash to be the def- Smash Ultimate to be the definitive Smash game, and that both communities only play that from here on out. That they want everyone to be moving to this, and they want both of those games to die. Is pretty much where they stand with Ultimate coming out, which is why they put every player out. So no matter which game you came from, you have your player, and they want this to be the definitive Smash experience from here on out, which is they're probably going to take it as a game of service kind of approach and just continuing to update this for a couple of years would be my guess. But I think even with the mechanics, they're going back a little more Melee style where it's a little more fast-paced too. Yeah, it'll be it'll be curious to kind of see what they, what they do, but... All in all, I enjoyed my first ever Evo, kind of watching that through. It was hype. I, like I said in Slack last night, I don't really care at all about the FGC or any of the games being played, but it just seems like such a fun experience and a fun event to be at that I really want to go to Evo next year just to be in, like, the middle of everything that's going on because it does seem like just a really hype event from start to finish. Can I make, like, a five-minute tangent? Because this this intrigues me. Um, yeah. Go for it. That's that's because the, it sounds like that's our Andrew, podcast. <laughs> Andrew and I, it sounds like we we share similar insights. We're like FGC. That's cool. I don't care, but I kind of want to care. And Dylan sounds like you're really into it. And like especially the community, like I think it's really hype. It's really cool that it's very grassroots, and everyone that's in the community really really cares, and they have a huge impact on like these events and. Uh, the players, the tournaments, just the whole culture. It feels really, really tight-knit and an awesome thing to be a part of. And fighting games, like watching them, it's so easy to just understand like what's going on. Like, hey, I don't know what those combos are, but I know it's a combo. That was really impressive. Why are people like Andrew and I, like, Andrew, why do we not, in your opinion, why do you not like jump in and commit to like learning more about FGC or is it just really you don't care? So personally for me, like, I'm not good at League of Legends, but I still enjoy watching it. I'm not that good at Overwatch, but I enjoy watching it. Something about the fighting games, just in general, I'm horrible, horrible, horrible at them, and that just turns me off from the whole concept. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, I was trying to ask, like, last night, like, they summoned whatever the Dragon Ball Z dragon is twice in one fight, and, like, Challenge. everyone's losing their mind in chat, and, like, I just, that didn't resonate with me. I, like, I thought, like, oh, some of these combos are cool and, like, how long they extended the combos. I understand it, like, how skillful that is. But to me, I'm just so disinterested and so bad at the games that it just feels like a whole different world to me and just not something that I've ever wanted to commit to, even though I understand slightly what's going on. It's personally why I don't want to get involved. Yeah, I think think that's pretty similar to me because, like, I know to get, like... 
I grew up playing Smash in college and with the N64 back like in elementary school and oh, all yeah. that good stuff. And that was a lot of fun. Then when I got to college, I'm like, wow, I was like, oh, I'm so good at Smash. And then I go to the next dorm room. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, people are really good at this. And then you grind and grind. And then you're like, oh, there's a competitive scene. And you're like, all right, I'm completely discouraged. I don't want to be around this anymore. Yeah. I don't. And like learning all these different games and all the combos, I think the to get to a certain level, it just takes so much grinding and uh, learning that muscle memory. And new, uh, I just, and I think because I didn't have a friend group that continued in late college and past college to just sit down and play these because playing Smash against AI is really not fun, yeah. you know? And then you have friends that play it, and then you're like, I feel bad that I have three stock and everyone's dead, and then I'm like the jerk that doesn't want items on, and yeah. we want to play on Final Destination. So, like, I think because I didn't find that community, I didn't really get sucked into it. And I'm like externally processing and figuring this out as I talk. It's like therapy. No. It's kind of weird. But yeah. yeah. People that are into <laughs> FGC are in there die hard, it seems like. Like anyone mm-hmm. that like is in it seems to understand it. They play the games. Like there's no I've yet to meet someone that doesn't play the games and uh, but is still into FGC. I know you don't play a ton, Dylan, but you've really been into Dragon Ball Z. You really follow the scene. You've played it, right? Yeah, and I think you what you guys are hitting on is the core issue with all with the fighting games as a spectator sport. So I think, especially in esports, um, at least this is the way I view it. Um, people could have totally, totally different views on it, um, but I feel like a lot of the appreciation of of uh, esports comes from empathy. You all have played League of Legends, you've played Overwatch, um, or you have just played a, a video game before. You know what goes into it. And the issue with fighting games is there is no bronze, really. I mean, mm. Street Fighter, you can play online and stuff, and that is getting a little bit better. But most of this is just local play only. And it's really hard to go into a scene and play it. Um, the equivalent is I pick up League for the first time. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a cool game. I like the characters and stuff. And they're like, yeah, come and play. You're playing against all the Diamond people. That's not going to be fun for me at all. That's yeah. going to be a terrible, terrible experience. And essentially, the equivalent is saying, oh, well, just go into, like, solo matches and just practice, like, last hitting. Like, that's that's not, like, a sustainable thing normally. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you were, so what you were talking about, Sam, about you didn't have that community, that's exactly, like, what people usually find if they get into it. Either they just have that like a really weird determination and they just like want to get really good and they can sit in the lab and practice combos all day and eventually get good. Or they find that friend group. They find the friend group who's learning together. And that's actually how I got in. I found a friend group who was just getting into fighting games. We played Street Fighter 4 and none of us knew how to play, but we all played together and we all got good together. And that's how we were able to get into it. And I feel like if you don't really have that, it's really hard to get into a fighting game, to be yeah. honest. It is super, super hard. Because like I said before, it's like jumping in a league at Diamond. Yeah. No, no, and I, I really think um, everything you kind of said there is right. And I guess I don't have too much else to add besides that. There's nothing wrong with being in the fighting game community or anything kind of like that. And I would love for someone to kind of talk to me of someone that doesn't play the games but is really into it. Because I'd love to see what kind of the thought process is behind that. But yeah, I'm definitely kind of on the board with Sam. And I think... Rudy um, has kind of been in the chat a little bit too, kind of saying the same thing. Um, he just kind of said, yeah, to get good at any fighting games, you have to take your lumps. It's surprising not to go own 50 at local before you finally get good. And no other esport is like that. 
If I like, lost exactly. my first 50 games of anything, I could not bring myself <laughs> to ever play again. Like, I... I I'm do you hate yourself, Andrew? Why do you yeah. keep doing this? <laughs> I, I'm just too competitive to just lose like that. And you have to have that certain kind of like drive. And it's it almost makes me respect them even kind of more because I know I don't have that drive to sit there and lose over and over and over again before you finally get good. So yeah. I respect everything about the FGC. It's just not something for me at all. But, and so actually, oh, before before we before we wrap this up, I yeah, don't yeah. want to run through the results, and then oh, I want to yeah. kind of wrap it up with something I thought was really, really cool. Um, so here's the overall results going from, like, the, the top game down. Um, Smash isn't in here, so I, I don't know why it's not in this list, but we're going to skip past the... I think Leffen won, Leffen won Smash Melee. I know that. Yeah. So that's the important one. But besides that, Street Fighter Four, um, Problem X won. He's from the UK. Um, definitely thought someone from Japan was going to take this, um, like uh, Tokido. He's really, really good. He won last Evo. Um, DBZ, Sonic Fox won that. Uh, Tekken 7, Low High won. Uh, Guilty Gear, Omido won. Uh, Blaze Blue, Hi Ho won. Injustice, Rewind won. But notable, Sonic Fox got third in that too. Really? Um, Holy crap. Yeah, Sonic Fox, his main start was with um, Mortal Kombat and Injustice. He won. Um, Injustice, and then he won Mortal Kombat two years in a row, and they got third in Injustice this year, I think. And maybe last year, too. I don't know if Injustice was two was out, but he might have gotten it last year, too. And the point I wanted to make is I think um, Sonic Fox, being the number one player in Dragon Ball Fighters, which is, I, even though Street Fighter was, like, the main event, quote-unquote, I still feel like Dragon Ball was, like, kind of the main event, too, because it had the most signups. It definitely had the most hype. It had the most viewers behind it. And I think Sonic Fox's place in the FGC is a really big testament to how the community is. I think it's really interesting. Because if you look at Sonic Fox, he is literally a gay black furry. But he is yeah. 100, he's 100% accepted by the community. Like, most people love him. Like, he does have haters and stuff. But, like, he won and, like, put on his, like, fursuit and everything, and people were still hyped about it. That's awesome. And I think that's what's something that's super, super special about the FGC is that, like, it is very warm. It's very welcoming of anyone because it, it really doesn't matter that he's a furry. He is really, really fucking good at, tree, yeah, or at uh, DBZ, and he blows people up, and that's the super hype part, and that's what people really, really love. And I think that's something that's really interesting, and it definitely was reflected because... He's been he's been that top player for a really long, long time now, and he he was super super young when he started winning Evos. He was like I think sixteen or something. Like he's been at Evo winning for the past couple of years. I think he's like eighteen or nineteen now. He's still super super young, and I really hope he does take that momentum um, and kind of pushes forward because he's really good, and I hope he does really well. And I'm really really proud of the reception that he got um from everyone because i think that's super super cool and also like rudy was saying it's really hype because whenever cell uh comes in his intro he just screams and everyone there just screamed every single time someone played cell and saw the opening animation and i guess last thing before we jump into dota the first year this was dbz's first year on evo and it was only a thousand people off from beating the all-time record for most viewers um, for an EVO, uh, for an EVO match on his very opening year, and that was Smash a couple years ago. So this has a huge player base too, huge fan base kind of behind it too. So 
DBZ is something that's really going to stick around. I'm curious to see if it gets bigger next year, if it kind of stays about the same. But it really was a hell of a show. But moving on, we talked about Evil for a half an hour, just about, which was really kind of surprising to me. I did not think we'd get that far into <laughs> it. So I'm going to let you, Sam, pick which of the first two Dota topics we're going to talk about today. Either OpenAI or just kind of the international and if it's really good for Dota. Let's talk about the international. Okay. Um, I can give a little bit of background. I'll, I'll take yeah, a little bit yeah. of the hosting off of your shoulder. Yeah, let's um, hear it. So the article that you sent me, I loved it because it was, it it definitely um, solidified all the things I've heard about Dota. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, all you Dota oh, fans, but <laughs> <laughs> pretty much everyone puts so much emphasis on the international. There's a huge prize pool. I think it's at like over 20 million probably projected or like 19 million. I think it's million, at 23 million. million right now. 23 million already. It's it's the big thing that happens every year and what happens because it's the big event and pretty much the only, I want to say quote unquote only significant event of the year for Dota everyone makes their rosters based off of the international so once teams fail they switch everything around there's no commitment there's no loyalty there's no brand like brands can't solidify themselves because players are a big part of their brand so when you talk about an esports economy or just the industry for Dota, um, because there's so much emphasis on the international, it's creating all these issues where people are really just looking at the short term because they really want that payout because they're players. There's no uh, franchise league. The teams can't really pay their players because then they'll be throwing money at really high-risk investments, and then sponsors don't want to get behind that, so teams don't have money. So it's just this endless cycle of, like, how do we keep this scene healthy even though it looks really healthy because there's a huge prize pool and it keeps growing but when you look at like the nuts and bolts of it how do you make this environment sustainable without really abusing kind of the players uh in the team environment because there's no money and it's such a it's a huge gamble it's a it's literally a gamble to try to win ti and put money at it right i don't i want to have you go first and kind of give your opinion. You are the biggest Dota guy here on the podcast. And where do you kind of stand? Like, you've looked at the articles a little bit too. Do you agree that we should really spread out the money? Or do you think that TI is the best thing that could be happening for Dota right now? Um, so I think this is a really hard and complex question. Because on one hand, spreading out the money, would it really help the scene or not? So I think TI is important because it is just like a monolith of hype. It is super, super hype, and it gets people interested who aren't normally interested in Dota. So the question is, with spreading out the money, I know it would be better for the players and better for the community itself, but is it better at sustaining it? Because TI is something that's always super hype and everyone always goes and watches. I watch TI, and I haven't played Dota in quite a bit. Um, and I don't watch any of the other events. Now, the question is, would spreading out the money get people like me to watch other events? I don't think it would. Um, I do think that the community in general needs a lot more support, um, specifically from Valve and more funding and all that kind of good stuff. But I do think TI having this like huge amount of money is super, super important uh, for the game in general. But does it need to be $23 million? 
So let's say... Yes. Or, yes, it does. It needs to be that gigantic, ridiculous Why can't it not be 15 million and then you use the other 8 million to spread out? Would, because you need... Would that difference big, really break TI? I mean, it's crowdfunded, right? So yeah. the fans choose that this is how much money we're going to throw into it. I mean, based yeah. off like skins and whatever else. Yeah. But um, the fans are the ones that keep increasing the prize pool, not not Valve. Valve is very hands-off, which is really interesting. It's like good and bad because like we talked about with Smash 4, Nintendo is like completely hands-off and they actually like are trying to not do esports, it feels like. Oh, Valve, I think they're like, hey, we have a thing here, but our job is to make a great game and uh, make a marketplace kind of thing, right? So then Dota, it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, so what's different between the FGC, like Smash 4, and uh, Dota 2? Because everything is really on the fanatics for the games, right? They are in charge, but I think Valve has Valve supports Dota 2 a lot more than Nintendo supports their games. But then it's it's kind of like, if we change the price pool... Does that actually, how does that actually play out for the rest of the league? Like, will it actually make teams uh, be able to invest more money safer? That yes. I think, like, th- lowering the prize pool and spreading it out may not actually lead to that unless you actually have someone who's like a dictator, like Valve, be like, hey, this is how we do things. Like, Epic Games with Fortnite, they like limited things where the community can do awesome stuff, but we have rules set in place that you can do this, you cannot do this. And. But- it, yeah, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> but Epic Games isn't saying, okay, we're investing $100 million into esports, and it's all going into one event. That would not help the scene. That, I think I, it could, though. Because the, 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 it helps the scene by creating an event that's larger than life and draws in people. For one month, the leading up to it and the aftermath. People talk about it as it comes up, and then it goes away. I mean, Overwatch has seen drastic increase in numbers blizzard has beat uh, projections we we're going to talk about this but the analysis is kind of a talking point blizzard had a better projection they want because partly of because of the overwatch league i mean you see that these esports do better i mean there's not it's not a coincidence that all these esports are starting to franchise and spread the seasons out and become more formalized in seasons it allows people to get in at more Opportunities. If there's only one chance a year to get into it, I'm not going to want to. I'm not going to want to go watch TI because I don't have time to figure out what's going on in smaller tournaments that don't mean as much. If there's only one tournament, everything's on the line. By the time I figure it out, the event's over. Then i got to wait another 11 months before it's relevant again. But here's the thing. I think the product of what it is is based on the amount of force behind it. So Riot and Overwatch, right? They're like, um, they, they set the rules. They set the rules. They tell you how you're going to play the game, and you play the game that way. They have leagues. They're franchised. And then you have things like fighting games that are basically just like com- almost like complete anarchy. There is like, le- there is like, a, like a Capcom Pro Tour um, for Street Fighter and Dragon Ball. But there's also just random tournaments that people just do themselves. In Pro League, that's not a thing you really see anymore. And I mean, for you like still Overwatch, see... you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna see like that happening anymore. The World if Cup, if, huh? You see the Overwatch World Cup going on? No, that's no, but really... that's Blizzard. That's Bl- is that Blizzard? Actually? Blizzard, like they might not run it. They sanction all that. No, no one. <laughs> in theory, right? If I have enough money and experience and stuff, 
I could create a premier fighting game tournament out of yeah. nowhere. I could. I cannot do that with Overwatch. That's nope. not a thing you can do with Overwatch. That's not a thing you can do with League. And I feel like um, like CSGO and Dota are in this weird kind of middle ground of where Valve like puts puts them puts themselves really behind it in certain areas. But then in certain areas, you know, people can just do their own tournaments, but they can also be important because they like are part of like the, the circuit, so to speak. So it's interesting on where it lies. I think what you want, Andrew, is you want it to look more like a franchise league. No, I, I don't care at all about a franchise league. I don't care about Dota at all. I'm just <laughs> saying that Dota, the two that are in that weird hybrid place, Dota and CSGO, they're not doing well. CSGO is losing 50% of its player base like every nine months or something like that. I remember we talked about that one day. They're dying. Dota's bleeding out as well. They need to try something different because what do they have to lose? No, but the, the thing it's is, not projected. The the chant the TI pod is projected to maybe reach last year. So they're not even sure if it's gonna top it. It's not growing anymore. No, but the question the question we face though is are these games failing because of the esport not being good? Or is it or are they slowly declining because people aren't excited about these games as esports? People aren't excited about CSGO anymore because CSGO has always felt not mainstream. Like, it's yeah. not a mainstream eSport. People do like it, and the people who like CSGO like CSGO. They're CSGO players. But, like, you know, it doesn't always feel like a main eSport. And the same thing is with Dota. Dota's in the same... It Like, Valve always felt this really weird tier of they had their dedicated fans. They had their dedicated fans who play and they watch and they're super, super passionate about it, but they never felt like super premier esports as opposed to these big monoliths like like uh, like Brood War or like Overwatch League or, you know, or League of Legends. Like they, they, they felt like these monoliths. And I think I think the reason behind that is because of how they're managed and stuff and how they're promoted. But like Valve, Valve games have always felt this weird in this weird zone. Also, CSGO costs money. I mean, I know, I know, I know. Overwatch costs money too, but I feel like that's always a hindrance to an esport. Yeah, I, I feel like what's I I like what Valve is doing. I say that very cautiously really? because it's it's interesting because they're just like we are taking care of our company and our our money and our employees and all that stuff and like community do what you want with it because uh, like in that article. Uh, Valve is still making money off of TI. They're fine. They're making more and more money. And whether the community... It's pretty much like the reason why CSGO and Dota 2 have survived is because of certain members in this community that really, really care about the community, really care about the game, and stepped it up and made it something awesome. Now, there could be repercussions if Valve doesn't like... If those games don't have that anymore because those people move on to different things because they like Fortnite better. They like game XYZ that's being released three years from now, and then those communities just slowly die, and then therefore Valve starts making less money, but then they probably have something in the pipeline that's going to replace Dota 2 or CSGO finally. So I think I think when it comes to business, they're smart. Like People are taking care of this, and it's going to die when it's supposed to die, or it's going to keep living because people, like there's a market and audience for it. But then, if I was a Dota 2 player or a CSGO player or just a fanatic of it, like that hurts me because I want, I want it to succeed and I want to watch my favorite players and games and people um, do well. 
the only thing that the big concern that I have is actually that the players are being mistreated. Like they're making no money, their owners are making shortcuts because they have to do this to survive, and people get shafted in this. That's what worries me the most about this situation. But when it comes to like the longevity of CS:GO and Dota 2, I think. Like kind of like StarCraft, they have a core base. I don't think the game's growing much, and I think Blizzard's like, it's fine. We got a core audience that is awesome, and they're loyal fans, and we'll support them. But we're gonna do other stuff as well. So it's it's a really weird spot, and it's really interesting. And I would love to sit in a meeting at Valve to hear what they think about like. They probably don't even talk about it anymore. They no, might not. That's, like, that's it's that's fine. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I, I'm just being. I'm exaggerating. Hot takes. But <laughs> any game that raises twenty five million dollars shouldn't be talked about in the same sense as that same game dying it is crowdfunding 25 million dollars it is crowdfunding the biggest esports prize pot in the world but people still talk about it as if it's a secondhand esport and it's only a matter of time till it dies that should not those two things should not be like in the same sentence that shouldn't be a thing it I mean there's a way to think... fix this I don't think people think it's Dota 2 is dying. Dota 2 is not a dying game. But it's not it's a, plateau, a growing game. Right? It's plateaued. Uh, I mean, if you look at player bases, like, people play the game. Yeah. Like, it's concurrence are, like, yeah, you might have, like, PUBG and stuff, like, peak, and you have some Steam games peak and peak players. But, like, Dota consistently has, like, like right now I'm looking at the Steam stats. It has two hundred and seventy six thousand people. Like and it, it's it is what? It's a Monday. Like, granted it's a little bit late at night, so people are off of work and stuff and off of school, but like it's a Monday night. And but people are really playing this game. This is the top three. And and right below it, almost similar numbers is Counter Strike. And like you might say like it's Counter Strike players bases are dying and stuff, but like a quarter of a million people on it at the same time isn't like a dead game. No. It's nowhere close. Go go on StarCraft and play the ladders there. It's a little rough. It's yeah, I'm just kind of going back and looking and yeah, I mean in the last yeah, I, I guess yeah, the numbers fluctuate, but I wouldn't say it's dying. So I will retract my statement there. But I mean, I do agree with you. I do agree with you that the esports version of it could look better. It could look better. I'm 100% behind you on that. And that's that's on the uh, the community has to step up. Someone from the community or an organization from the community has to step up to find a way creatively that hasn't been thought of or copy someone that has done something to make it a healthier environment and a more stable environment, right? If they really want to invest and continue to make Dota or CS:GO thrive, right? That, that's just the valve. That's the valve economy <laughs> esports economy right i have no idea why i'm getting worked up so much about ti <laughs> but i'm worked up right now i'm worked up about dota and the entire esports scene because like i i have no personal inference in it um interest in it i'm a league of legends guy i i i played dota the one day with james and that's probably the last time i ever played dota but just the potential that there still is in dota and that it is not being capitalized at the current rate and that teams Half, even though there's the biggest prize pools in all of esports, teams still struggle to make it in Dota, and that bothers me because that should not be how it is. I have a question: Should a company like Razer 
or HP or someone that's in the scene be like, hey, Valve, we want to create a huge tournament in partnership with you. Would Valve, one, be okay with that? Or two, and two, could that be the thing to help stabilize if someone actually invested into like an East, like someone big invested into an esports infrastructure for these Valve games? Yeah, I think they oh, yeah. do that. That is a thing that they currently do because the compendium for TI is not only for the international anymore. They do release compendiums for um, other tournaments, other premier tournaments for Dota. They release it, and they, some of them are crowdfunded, and they they are able to put money into it. And if you do that, you get special things, and like you can watch all the tournaments in client too, which I think is an amazing thing that Dota did. By the way, is being able to watch the game in client because it looks real good. Okay, so we, again, are just having amazing conversations on all these topics, and we are running down <laughs> towards time already, so we need to jump in. Dylan, are robots going to take over esports in a matter of years? Uh, maybe with OpenAI. So the big thing with OpenAI, um, it's a project that they originally kind of started, we talked about this last week, but the, the way it kind of showed itself and seemed really cool is I think it was last TI, um, there was a 1v1. It was the OpenAI bot versus Dendi who is a Dota 2 pro, one of the best players, and he lost against the AI. Now, you can say an AI obviously will beat an, another person because it has perfect reaction time and it could react to things and do things quicker than the human can. But that's not true with the open AI bots. So they stepped it up. They did a full team, five bots, five AI bots, and these five AI bots are amazing, but they put constraints onto it. So this isn't something that the second that you see it, it's gonna like instantly blow you up with perfect reaction time. They actually artificially like limited the reaction time and the APM of these bots to make them replicate human behavior. Now, there's a couple things that are a little bit weird with it because it's limited at a hundred and a uh, hundred. No, it plays between fifty and one seventy APM. Now, APM is a bit like a big thing, especially in StarCraft days. You heard about APM a lot. You heard all like the average pro plays at like plus 200 APM. So their APM is higher than the bots. Well, it's a little bit weird because a bot will never have redundant actions. So in League, if you're clicking around, you're going to you spam click when you're moving. You don't click once and wait for your person to get there. You spam click it because that's, that's just how, how people play. But a bot will never do that. It will only click once. So your APM might be like five times the bots, but the bot does the same exact thing as you. So this APM is a little bit misleading. So it has like up to 170 effective actions per minute, which is really, really impressive. And you can do a ton with that. And you definitely see that in these games. So they did, they did, um, they did limit it. So it's not like a one millisecond reaction time. I think it's something like uh, they have to do it every 150 milliseconds at the very most. So they're not incredible, like they're not they're not perfect reaction times. But that makes it even more interesting because these players or these these bots, they're playing like a really well coordinated team. They do ganks, they do lane swaps, like it's insane the amount of stuff they can do. And like they'll identify safe lanes that people have, and they'll play really aggressively against the safe lanes to try to screw them up. And it's incredible because they're playing. And using strats that, like, pro teams do. And they're playing aggressively. These aren't just, like, bots that sit and just, like, farm all day. And, like, oh, 
they got insane farm and they denied all your creeps so they won it's not like that they 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 play like real people and recently they had um i think it was a it might have been just one show match or maybe it was a bigger tournament like an exhibition um but there was a pro team that was all former pros and they played against the open ai team um it was a big event and the open ai team dumpstered them <laughs> it was really funny because uh at the be- at the beginning of the second match um one of the bots was spamming um stats but the stats was like percentage to win the match so it was like 85 percent, 90 percent, 95 percent chance of win and the pros are like what the fuck it's being bm to us <laughs> oh that's great um, but yeah this is really really impressive because like i was saying before it'd be one thing if it was perfect reaction times but the constraints that they're putting onto it makes them play like real players it makes the play interesting this isn't cranking the bot to 10 and playing against you know very hard smash bot with perfect reaction times this is creating actual like ai that feels and acts like a real player but a really fucking good player huh so the game wasn't even close no, not really. <laughs> Add limited, limited capacity for the box, and it wasn't even close. That's, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be curious when. Do you think there ever be a day where someone's going to try to actually put a bot team into a league? Like in ten years, someone tries to say, "I want to buy an Overwatch so you can put a bot team in there." No, because they're too good. It, it, so this team that's doing open AI, they're showing sorry, I hit my mic. Uh they're showing that like a AI team that has a really awesome algorithm and sophisticated neural network that's trained super well can just dumpster anyone. No one in their right minds would accept them into elite because they're just too good. Now I think the interesting question that we actually face is what are the applications to this in esports training? Oh, um, yeah, that's a video game, one. video game, yeah, video game tutorials. Um, so like whenever you're actually starting to learn the game, um, and then actually exhibition between bots. So the question isn't going to be player versus player, but like, will we actually see bot versus bot players, and that actually be something exciting to watch? Yeah, I think I think the way you go about this would be my thought. If I own a team and I'm like, hey, our League of Legends team, we need stats. We need to figure things out. Our players are spending 12 hours a day practicing and scrims. They're fatiguing. They're tired. They're going to be burnt out. You use this, bring in analysts, and you watch them play against bots to, one, practice certain things. And then if you have someone that knows how to work, customize this AI, you can even like have it like, hey, this team analyze Team Liquid's play. And then play like them so that we can practice Team Liquid without actually scrimming them and showing off our strategies. And when the AI is smart and you play three scrim blocks and you see how they uh, learn to defeat your strategy that you work on for three games in a row, it's like, okay, what was the problem here? Oh, and then you have like two really like strategic analytical people and probably the players watching and be like, what is the AI thinking? Or even like the programmer, if they're able to get feedback and understand how the learning evolves from the AI. I think that's super, super important because really when it comes to video games, it is a formula. There's right and wrong things. That's why there's a meta that form in these games. I think it's a genius way to put more money 
less manpower and also help the longevity of your players by making uh, practice a lot better. I think it's super, super huge. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a formula. The games are a formula that you just solve. And once you solve it, as long as you can perform to that, it's done. And that's what AI does for you. It figures it out as long as a programmer is smart enough. Because it, it is limited to how well your programmer is able to do. Because there could be something like, oh, we realized our bot can't last hit, though. Whoops. Yeah. And then all your like information is like null, right? But I think this is super, super important for training. And like you see like a team. I Sorry I keep bringing up League of Legends, but that's a game that I know. Clutch it's Gaming okay. You really super... did a really good job replacing James. That's all James <laughs> seems to talk about. Uh, Clutch Gaming keeps talking about how they use stats to really figure stuff out. We don't know the inner workings of it, but when they brought their team, they looked at these players because there's a lot of players, when you're on a bad team, your stats are just worse. That's just what's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. And they built a list, did their an analysis and stuff, and they actually fielded last split, a very, very good team that performed exceptionally well, especially considering the talent that they picked up when everyone's like, those are like, oh, they could be good, but they're they're not going to be good. And then they get fourth, right? Almost third. So I think this totally makes sense. It's just how you use it. And I think people, I, I think if someone figures this out, they sell it, they sell it and like market it to teams and they make tons of money because then every yeah. team needs to get it. <laughs> every team needs to get it. It's like legal steroids <laughs> or something. And that's, I, I really like the idea of that, of like, teams actually using this for practice. I think that's a super, super cool application of this. And I definitely think that is a possibility. Now, the also there's a lot of like weird things behind it. Cause like, I think Dota is more open source mm. than like League of Legends. And so that might be some of the issues behind actually applying it to other esports. But I think at least as a use case, that is really, really cool. I, I, I kind of hope that is the future because we want the players to constantly get better. I mean, that's why we started having more um, focused trainings and bringing in sports psychologists and, you know, fitness people because they make players that much better. I think this might be the next step after, like, having those human resources. Maybe the next step is apply AI to the players and they get that much better. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that's really cool, like, I, I yeah I guess I never would have thought of that kind of training one, but that that makes total sense and yeah, I don't know like you always think like you see in the future and stuff like all the futuristic TV shows like oh this bot versus that bot played each other and stuff kind of like that like I guess that doesn't interest me much because I think when players make mistakes it makes it so much better and like if everyone's hitting cool skill shots and stuff like that like sure it comes more down. It doesn't come down to strategy. It doesn't come down to anything kind of like that. At that point, it just comes down to straight leveling when it comes to bots versus bots, even if you do limit them. So I guess that doesn't interest me too much, but I love the idea of training. I think that's a really cool idea, and I, I think that is only a matter of time. I mean, technology is being more integrated into everything we do, especially esports. I mean, we're electronic sports, so obviously we should <laughs> kind of be at the forefront of um, any kind of technology advances. So I think that would be really cool. I know we had one more topic to kind of touch on, but we've already hit time today. And I feel like this next one would be a little bit of a hog to kind of talk about, I guess, what we just wanted to talk about. Maybe we just do, can we wrap this up in five minutes? Is, do you think Riot Games should make another giant game? And if so, 
should they center it towards esports or just make it just a popular game? If Riot was to add that S to Riot Games, what should that next game look like? Um, I know they are. They definitely are. They've talked about it. I mean, Mark Merrill and Brandon Beck, the co-founders of Riot Games, like months ago, stepped down from their managerial uh, responsibilities to make new games. I know they've been testing things for a long time. There's been leaks about like a Hearthstone kind of looking game like years ago. They do the Thunderdome where all the developers and like the, all the staff get together and play around and make fun games and like fighting games out of the characters or just random stuff. They're experimenting. I don't know why it's taking so freaking long. <laughs> That's the painful part. And everyone jokes about it. By the way, the board game that they made is fantastic. I love it. I own it. I haven't finished <laughs> it yet, but it's it's absolutely awesome. And I think it's like rated in the top 10 of like board games by like some big sites and Reddit and things like that. So I think Riot Games is just spending a lot of time figuring out what they want to do because they have said that they want to make a game that lasts a while. They want it to like define the decade just like League of Legends has. I don't know if you can do that with a, like a one player game. The only thing that comes to mind is like uh, Elder Scrolls, right? That lasted a long time or like GTA 5 lasted a long time, but that's we're talking about multiplayer there. So when we when I think about like what games they could do, I bet they're thinking like what is it's maybe showing some some growth or some interest but hasn't been done right because that's what I thought League of Legends did. Like Heroes of New Earth was out, uh Dota was it was before Dota 2 was released, so League of Legends like, hey, we want to do MOBAs, this is going to work, and we're going to make it better and more fun. So I'm trying to think, like, I think I don't think they're going to do Battle Royale, because I think it's like, no. by the time they release it, it's going to be like, okay, what's the next big thing? So I don't, I don't know what that is. Yeah, so what League is the big problem with it, though, is that someone in the chat brought this up, that Lightning doesn't strike twice, but that's why they're not releasing any games, and that's why they've tinkered around with so many so I don't know if you guys remember the um, fighting game Rising Thunder. There was a game that came out called Rising Thunder. It was an early access, mm -hmm. and Riot bought them up. The whole idea was that they wanted to make a League of Legends fighting game. I'm so excited for yeah. it. <laughs> and I think, I think the reason why it never happened is because they could have finished it. They could have finished it, and they looked at the finished product, and they went, this isn't a triple S tier game. And that's why they're not releasing anything is because they're waiting they don't want to release anything unless it's going to be absolutely amazing because Riot as a brand, as a developing brand, they need it to be perfect. They cannot release a flop because then that destroys their brand and that's that's what they're about. I don't believe that in today's age. I don't think games need to be released perfect anymore. I think they need to be released with lots of potential and something to look forward to for the future. But with games, with all the biggest games of the last year, they have been early access. I mean, I, you take out God of War and some of the ones kind of stuff like that. But, I mean, you look at PUBG, Fortnite, both these early development games, buggy on and off. Like, it doesn't need to be perfect anymore. And I'm just saying I want an MMO. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Riot is too cautious because you don't know, like... Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Gary Vee is, but he's like a digital entrepreneur. He He's huge in social media and getting attention and creating content. But he always tells like the artists, like, put out a song a day. 
Like you want to get big, put out a song a day and they can be 30 seconds long because you don't know like what top 10 song could have defined a decade that wasn't released by Michael Jackson. Like, because he's like, this is only good enough, but he was wrong, right? We don't know that. And Riot Games could put out stuff, kill it quickly. And like you said, like Fortnite, it wasn't a battle royale game. It didn't start off as a battle royale game. It started off like um, whatever the survivors, I don't even remember what it's called because no one plays it anymore because the battle royale part of it got like huge. But you never know what's going to come of something and you'll learn from the failures. And I think Riot's just being way too cautious where they're not willing to make mistakes. Like Epic Games have made a ton of mistakes with games. Like Paragon was a huge game that people were really excited about that uh, I think it failed because of lack of support by Epic Games. I'm not exactly sure. But eventually, Epic Games figured it out and made Fortnite, right? Uh, the biggest thing they need to do is just make it fun. It has yep. to be fun. And you don't know if it's fun unless the community plays it and shits on it because if it's buggy and it's fun, people are going to play it, and yep. then you're going to learn and change it, and you're going to completely shift it 180, and then it's going to be the best game ever. Like, that's how it, that's how it happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it's different because... It's, I mean, it's different, but it's not too different from Epic Games. I mean, Epic Games has been known for a while. I mean, they created the Unreal Engine. And Fortnite mm -hmm. was in development hell for years. Then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, let's just... I mean, that game came out. No one cared about Fortnite when it came out. They added the Battle Royale, and now look where it is now. I think big studios still have the opportunity to experiment and have a game go wrong without it ruining it. Because as long as they don't ruin it... League of Legends die when they try out a new game, they have nothing to lose. People are not going to say forever, oh, Riot can die. Yeah, we're not going to go play League of Legends because Riot put out a bad game. That's not how people think, and they'll probably give the next game after that a try. Riot has room, money, and resources to experiment, and I think they should because they have nothing to lose. You're right. You are right, Andrew. I'm not disputing that you're right, but they're not going to do that. And that's what I'm arguing. I'm saying yeah, they're not right. going to do that. They should. They 100% should because it's a good idea, and that's how a really good, lean, um, interesting game company would run. But they're not that. That's not their MO, and that's not what they're going to do. They're going to wait, like like chat was saying, they're going to wait till lightning strikes twice because that's who they are as a company, and that's what they want to do. They're beyond the point of where they want to release experimental fun things. I think they're kind of beyond that. Does anyone really ever get beyond that, though? I, I don't feel yes. like... Yes, there there are tons of big companies, and it's not a good practice. It's not a good practice to go under, but people do that. That's certain people's brands. That's 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 what they do. I don't think we're ever going to come to an agreement point. We've hit the time. I want to talk about this for another hour, but we all know we can't because there is opportunity there, and I think we all think so. But I think eventually, with enough time, I can convince you that they're going to at some point. But I don't have that resources right now. And I don't like saying things that I can't back up for once. So, with that, is there any last points any of you guys want to bring up just very quickly before we kind of wrap up today's episode? Uh, Andrew and I will be starting a new podcast called Riot Please Make Another Game. Uh, it will be debuted Wednesday at 7... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, should, we should just create... The entire Blizzard MMO for them. Each week, we just take like one quest line at a time and just keep expanding on it until they just hire us on the lead writers. I think that's yeah. the only way they could do it. Collect 20 fruits from the jungle. 
And then we explain the exact <laughs> steps we take to get there. No, but yeah. again, Sam, I just want to thank you so much for kind of stepping in and being our first kind of guest host with us. It was awesome having you on. So I we kind of introduced you quickly, but is there any projects, anything you're kind of working on, any videos you want us to, you want to kind of shout out before we kind of head out for today? Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. Uh, first thing I want to say is thank you so much for inviting me on. I feel very honored to be your first guest host. Hopefully I'll make another visit some other time in the future. But no, it's been really awesome, really fun. I love what you guys are doing. I got to meet Andrew in person, which was really fun. We had some good Mexican food, at least the best you can find in in Wisconsin, <laughs> at least. But um, so what I'm doing right now, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm on my eSports grind. So currently I volunteer with Payday. So check them out. They're a tournament organizer and social media platform. So I'm their media director there, so I help with content. Uh, as far as my own projects, they're kind of on hiatus right now, but I've been working with Travis Gafford for Hotline League, which is fun. So if you ever see one of those videos that he puts up that are edited by me, I would love a retweet. That'd be awesome. And then uh, Golden Guardian's been doing some stuff like you mentioned for them. But pretty much my own projects are on hiatus because I'm just trying to put my all in and doing this kind of stuff. Or just in the esports grind. So again, I really appreciate you inviting me on to talk about things because I love to talk and podcast and I need to start doing it again somehow. <laughs> I just need to find time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks again so much. And yeah, if I sound interesting, you can follow me on at JustCasual9 on Twitter. That's about it. Good. I was just about to say that, yeah, for any audio listeners, do go follow him on Twitter. He's constantly talking esports, retweeting esports, and me and him interact and just kind of bullshit every once in a while too. So that's always fun. But... With that, that is going to be wrapping up today's episode of the Project Esports Podcast. Thank you all so much for watching on Twitch, downloading, watching on YouTube, or however you get it. Once again, any likes, comments, follows, comments, anything you have to say about anything we put out means the world to us, even if it's just saying great episode or bad episode and tell us why. We want to know so that we can give you guys the content you want to hear. And we go live every Monday at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. And usually the following day, um, we'll have all the VODs up. So the VODs will be up, they'll be up on YouTube. Um, it's gonna be out on all the different podcast network. So we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on iTunes, and the most hype of all, we're on Spotify, which is super, super easy to have um, subscribed and listening to, and you can always download it and stuff if you have Spotify Premium. So that's super, super hype. And we're really pushing hard for Twitch affiliate. Um, so please go ahead and follow us on Twitch. Um, if you are watching us on Twitch, um, or if you just want to support us in general, um, on Twitter, go ahead and just, um, retweet us, help get our name out there. If you quote tweet us or, um, kind of help promote us on Twitter or something, I'm, I'll make sure I read your name at the end of every single, um, podcast leading up until we get affiliate. It's a little cool thing that we're doing now. Um, so those people that really helped us out are at Synax, at Ksenia Ilya, at the band, at the band Hammer, at Better Underscore Esports, at Sinos King, at Learningville, um, and I would say at uh, Just Casual Nine, but he's on here too. <laughs> but thanks for quote tweeting us, Sam. Um, but yeah, so if you want to, even just follow us on um, on Twitch. Just let me know that you followed us on Twitch, and let me know your Twitter, and I'll I'll plug you in there too. So just let me know. But yeah. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. And with that, I'm Andrew. I'm Dylan. I'm Sam. (laughs) Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of the Project Esports Podcast.